and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this here program? Before I move on, I want to take a phone call from Cindy. Welcome to the program. How are you, Cindy? Just fine, thank you. Um, You were just talking about Woka Haram and their tactics. The thing is, Stacey Abrams, didn't she use those same tactics to get to bully the All-Star game out of Atlanta? Yes. And what are we going to do while she's running? Isn't she going to bully her way with her Woka Haram gang to get the kind of coverage she wants of her campaign, etc.? Well, she doesn't have to bully the press to get favorable coverage of her campaign. They're absolutely going to give her the glowing press. Uh, largely, I know, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it already. And, and, you know, a lot of it is, I think people miss this, in a lot of the media coverage nationally that Stacey Abrams gets is because of white guilt. Uh, in 2018, uh, the national media fawned over Beto O'Rourke and ignored Stacey Abrams. And Beto uh, did worse against Cruz than Abrams did against Kemp, which still she never even got into a runoff. And nonetheless, ever since, the media has been trying to make it up to her by largely ignoring her. But to your larger point, yes, Stacey Abrams uh, not only uh, bullied the Major League Baseball commissioner into dropping Atlanta Georgia for the all-star game after their voting package was passed in the state of Georgia. Then she bullied USA Today into allowing her to revise her op-ed that had called for boycotts uh, so that she could say she wasn't calling for boycotts once she successfully got the boycott done. Words mean things, but are subject to revision if you're Stacey Abrams. Now, we got to talk about other women. Because there are some women out there who are shaping America and not the way the left wants. I, you know, we're already starting to see this. Let's back up. In 2020, it became very clear in a lot of polling that younger black men were open to Donald Trump's message. And Hispanic voters were too. The New York Times tried to understand why this was the case. And you know how the New York Times, in an analysis, not an op-ed, but in an analysis, explained why young black men are interested in Donald Trump? The actual analysis was because of toxic masculinity in rap music. That's what the New York Times said. How did the New York Times explain the shift of Hispanic voters to Donald Trump and the GOP? Well, These people have all immigrated from countries that had characters, outlandish characters as presidents. They like the strong man attitude. Now, those of us on the ground with some common sense could look at that and say, wait, you're telling me they don't like the strong men that they fled from, but they're going to come here and want one. Clearly, something doesn't add up. In fact, The reason young black men and Hispanic voters were all going for Donald Trump was the same. Jobs. Jobs, young black men supported him for criminal justice reform. And uh, they also, many of them have families and they didn't want the police defunded. We are about to enter a period of open racism from the left. Now, you and I can say, well, they've already been pretty racist so far. 
the neo-racists out there all on the left with their critical theory and stuff, but you ain't seen nothing yet. Why? Because in Texas, do you know who is causing Hispanic voters to flip to the Republican Party? Women. Female Hispanic voters. This is from Sabrina Rodriguez in Politico. Democrats were caught off guard in South Texas in 2020. The Hispanic Republican women who live there were not. Many of them have played a leading role in urging their neighbors in majority Hispanic South Texas to question their traditional loyalty to the Democratic Party. Hispanic women now serve as party chairs in the state's four southernmost border counties, spanning a distance from Brownsville almost to Laredo, places where Trump made some of the biggest inroads with Latino voters. A half dozen of them are running for Congress across the state's four House districts that border Mexico, including Monica de la Cruz, the GOP frontrunner, in one of Texas's most competitive seats in the Rio Grande Valley. It's some of the clearest evidence that Trump's 2020 performance there may not have been an anomaly, but rather a sign of significant Republican inroads among Texas Hispanics, perhaps not enough to threaten the Democratic advantage of these voters, but enough to send ripples. For so long, people here just never had Republicans knocking on their doors and calling them the way we did in 2020. The majority of us are women that did it then and are doing it now because we feel it's our responsibility to keep the American dream alive, says Myra Flores, a leading candidate for the GOP nomination in a South Texas congressional seat. For Flores, the road to becoming a Republican was similar to the path traveled by many Hispanic women in South Texas. She grew up seeing most of her immigrant family vote Democrat and felt it was standard for Hispanics to vote Democrat. Then, she says, came an inflection point where she began to question her loyalty to the party. Do you know why Hispanics in Texas, and not just Texas, mostly Texas, but not just Texas, are flipping to the Republican Party? Yes, it's jobs, and yes, it's crime, but it's also things like border security and cultural values. The most conservative, culturally conservative people in the United States or America are Hispanic. Second, by the way, is black, but for historic reasons in this country, they will still tend to vote Democrat. But Hispanic voters have been up for grabs for a while, and the wokes are alienating them. Latinx. You know, 3% of Americans use the phrase Latinx. 0% of Hispanic or Latino voters do. It's 100% white people who use the phrase Latinx. There's been polling done. Echelon Insights has done the polling on this. Hispanic people, Latino people do not use it. Now, what's the difference between Hispanic and Latino? Most voters of Spanish language descent use the word Hispanic. In Southern California and in New York, Latino dominates. But Hispanic voters typically is what they prefer. They'll use Latino. They don't use Latinx. Not only that, they tend to be more pro-life than your average white Democrat. Not only that, they tend to be more in favor of individual responsibility and reliance than your average Democrat. Now, this is important here. This is important. 
There's a growing movement on the right that's collectivist to combat the left. A lot of people on the right, on the alt-right, have seen and perceived left-wing success in the country, and they've decided we need to have a collectivist right to combat the collectivist left. I think that's wrong-headed thinking. Hispanic voters are very individualistic, and one of the reasons why is because they are from immigrant families who came to these United States to build a better life for themselves and through their own hard work got ahead. They tend to be Christian. They tend to be pro-life. They tend to have large families. They love this country. They're very patriotic. I mean, I've said for a while demographically in about 50 years, this country is going to be overwhelmingly Hispanic country music listing conservatives. And the data, the trend lines are still there for that. And the left doesn't seem to understand it. You know, one of the biggest issues here is you got to treat people like they're people. And when you treat someone like they're part of an identity group, you treat them like they're in that group. You don't treat them like they are a person. You don't treat them like they are an individual. One of the smart things Republicans did in 2020 is they kind of picked up on this. Instead of going out and, and dealing with Hispanic voters, you're dealing with immigrants from Argentina, from Brazil, from Peru, from Bolivia, from Colombia, from Venezuela, from Guatemala, from Nicaragua, from Honduras, from El Salvador, from Panama, from Mexico. Deal with them not as Latino voters or Hispanic voters, but as American voters who just like so many of the rest of us are from immigrant families. So you may have to deal with them in Spanish so that their whole family gets on board. But deal with the Hispanic doctor as if he's a doctor, not as if he's Hispanic. Deal with the Hispanic plumber as if he's a plumber, not as if he's Hispanic. You may have to do it in Spanish, but treat them as people, not as identity class groups. And guess what? It has worked. And now you've got this situation where Hispanic women in South Texas are kind of running the numbers in their head. They're, they're doing the math. They're, they're doing the cultural considerations in their head. And they're like, wait a second. I'm pro-life. The Democrats are run by pro-abortion crowd. I'm Christian. The Democrats are run by people hostile to my faith. I'm for border security. The Democrats are not. My husband's a Border Patrol agent, and the Democrats are disparaging him, not funding him, and allowing the border to be overrun. I don't feel safe. The Democrats are in favor of defunding the police. I think I'm a Republican. These conversations are happening all around the country. But in these border areas, they're having a profound impact. Now, here, here's part of what you got to keep in mind. We're in a redistricting season. All the states redraw their congressional state legislative lines. And Republican states try to draw them to benefit the Republicans. And Democratic states try to draw them to benefit the Democrats. And in Texas, they've had to draw districts to be majority Hispanic. In Georgia, they've drawn a few districts to be majority black. In Louisiana, the governor is threatening to veto legislation unless they make a second majority black district. That helps the Republicans because you put a lot of Democrats in a majority black district. You get the black person elected, but then you've lumped the Democrats there, and it makes everything else more Republican in the South. So you get all these districts drawn. The Democrats are out there looking at the 
partisan makeup based on having Donald Trump on the ballot. And in some of these cases, in some of these areas, you get a D plus five or even a D plus 10 district where really it might be an R plus two district or a D plus one district. But Donald Trump was so alienating and polarizing that they think this is a real Democratic district. Well, now you've got the shift of Hispanic voters that's continuing to go. So your D plus 10 district, you take Trump out of it, it's a D plus one district. And now the Hispanic voters of the country are alienated from the Democrats who they've realized are big government progressives who don't like Christians or pro-lifers and really believe that boys should be on the girls team. And now suddenly they've drifted so much this district has become an R plus one or an R plus two. And the Democrats can't see it coming because they're in a bubble. It's like the Stacey Abrams situation with her without a mask on while everybody else had to wear a mask. Progressives get in such a bubble where they can do no wrong, where they are told what to do, where they are allowed to do it. Progressives get in a situation where everyone affirms their views and their bubble. No one challenges them. They're all convinced that the right is terrible. And these Hispanic voters voting for the GOP, they're traitors in some way to their race. They don't question it. They're not challenged. They're not pushed. They wind up believing their own press. And then it blows up on them. Parents revolt in schools. And now Hispanic voters and young black men are revolting because the Democrats are so convinced of their own righteousness, they've lost touch with the people who were the base of their party. And that base is going to go somewhere else. And the more these white Karens come into the Democratic Party, the more these non-woke Hispanic and black voters leave to the GOP. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let's go to Johnny waiting patiently. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show, Johnny. Hey, how are you doing, Eric? Good. How are you? Good. I just want to call and tell you that what you said about Hispanic voters, especially in South Texas, because I've got a lot of family down there. Um, I knew when I first started, um, when I, I joined the military when I was 18, and my parents always voted Democrat, so I always voted Democrat until Ronald Reagan ran for office. And I started questioning, why am I always defending the Democrats when I believe in life? I believe in working hard for what you want to succeed in life. You know, I used to grow up in the cotton fields, chopping cotton and join the army, retired after 26 years, went and got my bachelor's, went and got my master's and I'm succeeding. And it's through hard work and effort. And all of that I realized was what the conservative Republican movement is all about to better yourself. And the Democrats are trying to make us dependent on themselves. Amen. That's so well said, Johnny. Thank you very much for that phone call. And, you know, the data backs that up. Uh, Hispanic voters are not the collectivist progressives that the Democrats seem to think they were. They're actually um, individual hard workers. And, you know, I, I got to say, uh, if the GOP just had a slight shift in language on the border, uh, the fact of the matter is the truth of the matter asserted is that uh, most Hispanic voters in this country are in favor of border security. But the data that shows this also shows that they feel like uh, the GOP, when they talk about border security, sounds like they hate them. Something to consider there. Um, I, I myself think we need to build a very, very high wall and secure that border. And then we can have real conversations about what to do with the people here. 
because I do think, uh, by and large, that the conversation changes once you've secured the border and no more illegal aliens are coming in. It's not even worth having the conversation on what to do about those who are here, uh, because if you start having that conversation before you build the wall, then they're just going to try to flood the border while the wall is being built. But that's a matter for another day. The bottom line, though, is that Hispanic voters are shifting in this country, and the Democrats never saw this coming. you got to remember, the Democrats for years said demography was destiny, and they took Hispanic voters for granted, and the GOP did not. And what the Republicans did, particularly under Donald Trump, was offer them real public policy solutions. The last guy, and this will pain Trump supporters for hearing this, the last guy who got it right with Hispanic voters was named George W. Bush. And the reason he knew how to connect with Hispanic voters was he's the governor of Texas. But even Trump has outperformed him. There is a cultural shift going on, and I think a lot of it has to do with the the progressive Karens in the Democratic Party uh, trying to tell these people how to live their lives and what to do and, and how to be offended. I hear these stories all the time of uh, black and Hispanic women in particular who go to groups to deal with social injustice, and the white Karens of the group start lecturing them on uh, how they are experiencing racism and don't even know it. So the, the lecturing left on these things doesn't work well for people. It just doesn't work. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. The founder of the Black Lives Matter chapter in Memphis, Tennessee, has been sentenced to prison for six years for illegally registering to vote in Tennessee. Pamela Moses, the 44-year-old activist, was ordered to spend six years and one day behind bars Monday for registering to vote despite felony convictions in 2015 that made her ineligible. In handing down the sentence, Judge Michael Ward accused her of deceiving the probation department to obtain the right to vote. You tricked the probation department into giving you documents saying you were off probation, Ward said. In 2015, she pled guilty to tampering with evidence and forgery, both felonies, and to misdemeanor charges of perjury, stalking, theft under $500, and escape. She was placed on probation for seven years and ineligible to vote in Tennessee because of the tampering with evidence charge. She maintained she was under the impression her voting rights were restored when she went to vote in 2019. I'm sure there will people who defend her, but I have to tell you, um, I think that uh, the situation here is one where when you read this stuff, it sounds like she didn't think the rules should apply to her. And I'm sure that um, she is outraged and... I don't care. The fact of the matter is she had no business registering to vote. And this is another example. People doing things like this, they shouldn't. And you know what the left will say is that, well, I mean, she should be allowed. You shouldn't have someone's rights taken away, their voting rights taken away because they convicted a felony. No, no, no. You should have your rights taken away. You should have your right to vote taken away when you've committed a felony. They'll scream racism. I'm sure they will. But the larger issue here is these are the sort of people in charge of Black Lives Matters. The organization is collapsing. 
and it has become a shakedown scheme of sorts for corporate America to give money to absolve them. And this is what's going to happen. It, it was easily predictable. It, these things tend to follow a pattern. In the 1980s and the 1990s, Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton would shake down American corporations to throw money at their organizations in order to not get boycotted and protested. It was a shakedown scheme. Black Lives Matters is no different. Black Lives Matters is a shakedown scheme. In fact, there have been places around the country where activists showed up at small businesses and said, you need to put these signs in your window for a fee so that people know not to harm your business when the riots come. That happened. That legitimately happened. It's a shakedown scheme. Black Lives Matters does this sort of stuff. It's a shakedown scheme. Now, the wokes are doing it. I mean, this this organization, the scam pack that's going after Joe Rogan, they want progressive dollars. They want to take out Joe Rogan to show their effectiveness. They're getting lots of attention. They want to be effective. They want to be seen as effective so that they can get money. And the thing with the Rogan situation and other situations that are coming is you either, if you're a corporation, you will either silence the voice of the person the wokes hate or you will pay them money. Black Lives Matters really has been no different. It's a shakedown. And the only way to fight it is to not play their game. Now, to the phones we go. Uh, Ken, you're going to be up next on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome. Yes, sir, Mr. Erickson. Uh, I heard your comments the other day on constitutional carry, and I'm all for that except for one thing. As a concealed carry permit holder, how will constitutional carry affect reciprocity agreements with other states? Ah, uh, that's an excellent question. Uh, my understanding in the law is that uh, if Georgia passes constitutional carry in most states, reciprocity will not be affected. So if you get reciprocity with concealed carry, you would get reciprocity with constitutional carry. There are a couple of states where you actually have to go through the concealed carry permitting process in a state. I don't have that list in front of me, uh, but that's a great question. Um, but the bottom line is that in most states with reciprocity, it won't affect us uh, at all by getting rid of the standard constitution, uh, concealed carry, going through the fingerprinting and stuff like that. There will be a couple, though, where my understanding is it will impact us, um, but I, I can't remember the names. It's none around us. Uh, frankly, I, I think we need to work hard and get uh, reciprocity with every state. We need a national reciprocity law. Uh, I still find it ridiculous that I can carry my gun across some state lines and be fine. And then in other states, I get in all sorts of trouble. It just makes absolutely no sense to me. Ken, that's a great question. Uh, we need nationwide reciprocity and we need nationwide constitutional carry. If you are legally allowed to purchase a firearm, you should not then have to go through additional steps to actually carry that firearm on you. That's my opinion, but I'm right. Now, we got to move on. You've never heard of Eric Lander, I bet. I suspect the average person in the United States does not know who Eric Lander is. Eric Lander is one of Joe Biden's, well, he is not one of, he is the top 
science advisor for Joe Biden. He steers the Office of Science and Technology Policy. It's a cabinet-level position. And according to a bunch of people, he's a bully. It sounds honest to goodness. It sounds like he's bipolar. I don't mean that disparagingly. It sounds like he's bipolar, though, based on some of these complaints. There are 150 people who work for him. 14 of them have come forward and said it's a toxic work environment, that he is bully, he's dismissive of of subordinates, he cuts them off, he yells at them, he humiliates them, and then some days he's perfectly fine. It's a very weird situation in that there are some days where he's perfectly fine, there's no issue, and then the next day he turns on a dime and he is an angry rage machine. Now, let me read you some of this from Politico. Biden picked Lander, a leading scientist who first came to prominence for his work mapping the human genome, to head the Office of Science and Technology Policy, in part to show his administration would entrust scientists and medical experts as they work to combat the coronavirus. Last January, Biden wrote a public open letter to Lander urging him to refresh and reinvigorate our national science and technology strategy to set us on a strong course for the next 75 years. He compared the task to a forward-looking 1944 report published by FDR Science Advisor. White House advisors told Politico they met with Dr. Lander to discuss the seriousness of the matter and the president's expectation that all staff interactions be conducted with respect. The investigation found credible evidence of violations of the uh, White House's safe and respectful workplace policy, and corrective action was taken. But wait a second. Joe Biden, uh, the media told us, Joe Biden caught on tape his statement. He told his employees if he caught anyone disrespecting other people, he'd fire them. On the spot, they'd be fired. But this guy's not. Dr. Lander is not going to be fired. Maybe it's his first name. You get somebody named Eric and you're like, well, I mean, that guy, he's a leader. We can't fire him. His first name says it all. I doubt that has anything to do with it, though. I remember Joe Biden standing up when he got to the White House. He brought all the employees in and told him, if you are abusive to people, I will fire you on the spot. And here this guy is abusive to people, and he has not been fired. This is not good. A two-month investigation found credible evidence that Eric Lander was bullying toward the then general counsel, Rachel Wallace. So he wasn't just bullying anybody. He was bullying to the lawyer, and the lawyer was a woman. Why does he have a job? This is a quote. Listen to this. This is a quote from one of the staffers. Lander has a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde personality. If he's in a meeting with external people, he's positive and jubilant. Even it's behind closed doors, he changes. There's a lot of brilliant people in this country. I completely reject the notion that his brilliance is so singular and critical to the nation that his behavior is an excuse. That's what a staffer said. Mr. President, please protect the dignity and well-being of our staff by standing by your zero-tolerance policy, said a second staffer. 
Joe Biden actually pledged, if you are ever working for me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk down to someone, I promise you I will fire you on the spot, on the spot, no ifs, ands, or buts. That's what Joe Biden said. That's what Joe Biden said. He said it to his staff on a in the the um what the in the White House. He said it to his staff. But I'm not joking when I say this. If you're ever working with me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk down to someone, I promise you I will fire you on the spot. On the spot. No ifs, ands, or buts. Everybody, everybody is entitled to be treated with decency and dignity. That's been missing in a big way the last four years. That's what Joe Biden said, and now he's not doing it. I mean, silly for us to hold Joe Biden to his word. That's part of the problem here. And then you've got Xavier Becerra. Becerra is the Secretary of Health and Human Services. There's a stunning admission in this report from CNN about Becerra. He did not even know that it was possible that he would become the Secretary of Health and Human Services until the day before. This is this is this is actually the quote. Listen, the day before he was announced as Health and Human Services Secretary, Basira was unaware the job was an actual possibility. He was announced on the same day in 2020 that uh, Biden's COVID personnel leader, uh, who helps oversee the selection process, was named as the head of Biden's task force for COVID. He didn't even know he was going to get the job until right before it was announced. He didn't even know it was a possibility. And this guy keeps screwing up. They've thrown him under the bus, the Biden White House, and now he's trying to push back and say, no, no, you're about to hear a lot from me on policy. The nation's, this is the, this is the, the headline, the nation's top health official has been a background player for much of his tenure. He says that's about to change. This comes after the White House started attacking him in the Washington Post and the New York Times saying he's to blame for a lot of the COVID policy screw-ups, and now suddenly he wants to come out of the shadows. The Biden White House is not living up to Joe Biden's own expectations. Why should we trust anything Joe Biden and his administration say when their, his staff does not live up to his own set expectations? He would fire Lander on the spot, and he's not. And in Basira's case, he's apparently in over his head, doesn't know what's going on, asks no questions, and is super shallow and superficial, and the White House wants to blame him for COVID. And Basira's response is to do an interview and say, no, actually, I'm about to come out of the shadows, and I'm about to be the point man and the face man on all this stuff. No, you're not. You're delusional. The only reason that guy was picked anyway was because of abortion politics. It's striking just how incompetent all of this is out of the White House. Yeah, I mean, it really is just, it's what's going on. It makes you realize Ron Klain and a whole lot of other people in the White House need to go. They still have their jobs. They're still making the same mistakes. And Joe Biden very clearly said, I played you the audio. If you treat anyone the way Eric Lander was treating people in that office, I'd fire you on the spot. And Lander still has his job. And Becerra 
keep screwing up and they won't do anything to him other than let him get an interview out saying he's about to be more open and more public and more out there to screw up even larger things with more spectacle. That's not good. Now, I got to tell you guys something. Um, Eden Pure, they've been selling a lot of Eden Pure Thunderstorms. And they've got a new plan for you. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm, buy one, get one. It's this week only. You got the BOGO. It's back. The BOGO, the buy one, get one. Now, here's what you do. You go to EdenPureDeals.com and you click on my name. And at checkout, you use Eric Bogo, all one word, Eric B-O-G-O. Now, what is the Eden Pure Thunderstorm? It's an air purifier. It cleans the air. It cleans the air. And the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, it gets rave reviews. And some of you are skeptical, and some of you are thinking, I don't really need three of them. Or I want to check it out and see, well, you know, you're going to get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, BOGO, so you're going to buy one. You're going to get one for free, so you'll have two of them. You'll realize how great they are, and then you'll want to order more. It's incredible. It cleans the air in your house. It deodorizes. It doesn't mask odors. It eliminates odors. It gets rid of the bacteria, the mildew, the mold, and it's filterless. You don't even have to get a filter subscription with this thing. You just wipe it out on occasion, and it works. What you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com, and you put in the discount code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, BOGO, B-O-G-O, ERIC BOGO, all one word. You will get two Eden Pure Thunderstorms. One of them will be free. It is incredible savings, an incredible deal. You get two of these things to try them out. You'll realize how much you like them. You'll want to buy more. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric Bogo for buy one, get one. Eric Bogo. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Well, I thought this story was an April Fool's joke, and it's not an April Fool's joke. It actually is a thing, um, and, well, I'm a little bit perturbed. You're going to think what I'm about to tell you has got to be an April Fool's joke. It is February. It's not April. The Biden administration has decided to fund a crack pipe distribution program for $30 million to advance racial equity. I'm not making that up. This is from the Washington Free Beacon from Patrick Huff. The Biden administration is set to fund the distribution of crack pipes to drug addicts as part of its plan to advance racial equity. The $30 million grant program, which closed applications Monday and will begin in May, will provide funds to nonprofits and local governments to help make drug use safer for addicts. Included in the grant, which is overseen by the Department of Health and Human Services, are funds for smoking kits and supplies. A spokesman for the agency told the Washington Free Beacon these kits will provide pipes for users to smoke crack cocaine, crystal methamphetamine, and any illegal substance or illicit substance, they said. Health and Human Services says the kits aim to reduce the risk of infection when smoking substances with glass pipes, which can lead to infections through cuts and sores. Applicants for the grants are prioritized if they treat a majority of underserved communities, including African-Americans and LGBTQ plus persons. Breaking news, Hunter Biden's decided he's gay. (laughs) Got to get in on the, got to get in on the crack pipe distribution. Dad's not going to provide it for him. My goodness gracious. Uh, We're going to provide crack pipes 
for drug addicts around the country as opposed to, I don't know, getting them good treatment and therapy? They're not going to have to buy their crack pipe, uh, but they'll still have to buy the crack. How are they going to get the money for the crack if they can't afford the crack pipe? Through crime, prostitution, selling paintings when your dad's the president of the United States, maybe? I don't know. At least they'll get the Joe Biden souvenir crack pipe out of it. Good grief. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. Firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.